everyone. I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode, we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history. And today we are going to be talking about the case of Philip Markov. So you may not know who Philip Markov is, but he is also known as the Craigslist killer. So you may have actually heard of him if you've heard of the Craigslist killer. And listen, guys, I know it's pronounced Craigslist, but I'm British and we pronounce Craig as Craig. So please excuse me if sometimes I say Craigslist instead of Craigslist. And for those of you listening that don't know what Craigslist is, because we don't actually have Craigslist in the UK, it's basically just a website where you can advertise pretty much anything. And I mean anything. And I was aware of Craigslist before researching this case. However, I was not aware of some of the things that get listed on there. And we'll get more into that in today's case. Now with this case, I was really left confused about the motives. I don't know if it was sexually motivated, money motivated, thrill seeking, power dominance. I just really don't know. It may be a bit of everything. But this case definitely left me scratching my head a little bit as to why the hell this case even happened. I just have a lot of questions, okay? Because this seemingly normal person, Philip Markoff, turned into the Craigslist killer. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's get into it. So Philip Markov was born on February 12th. He was an Aquarius, 1986, in the small town of Sherrill, New York. He was born to parents Susan and Richard Markov, and he had an older brother named Jonathan. His parents did divorce when he was in elementary school, and this did cause a little bit of a rift in the family because the two brothers were actually split up. Philip stayed and lived with his mom, but his older brother went to live with his dad, so they were split up. But other than this, like the divorce, I couldn't really find much out about Philip's childhood. It seemed pretty normal, nothing out of the ordinary. And a lot of times in these cases, you look back at the childhood and there has been some kind of abuse or neglect or some kind of trauma that has happened or maybe even a head injury, um, but there was nothing. Philip had a relatively normal seemingly happy uh, childhood and upbringing. And he was just described by people that knew him as a really nice, polite, respectful young man. And this normal childhood continued on into high school. He was popular, he was good looking, he was clean cut, he was a very high achiever as well. I kept seeing the term, he was just an all American boy. Um, which I have heard that term before on TV and films and stuff, but I don't really know what that means. We don't say, oh, he was an old British boy. Like, I don't even know what that would mean. <laughs> and after high school, Philip did go on to attend the State University of New York in Albany. As a pre-med student, he had aspirations of becoming a doctor and he continued to be a high achiever as well. He graduated in just three years. One thing that he liked to do for fun while he was in university is play all night poker games. And he actually started to gain a reputation for being a very good poker player, but an extremely bad loser. And this is definitely something to note because the poker 
gambling kind of thing uh, does come back up later on in the story. And there was an incident when Philip was in college and he was drunk and he forcefully tried to come onto one of his female friends. He cornered her and pushed her up against the wall and he tried to kiss her against her will. And she tried to keep pushing him off, kept saying to Philip, no, we're just friends. Like, I don't want this. Luckily, another friend interrupted and did manage to get Philip off of her. This female friend just describes that she was absolutely terrified, like she'd never seen this side of Philip before. And it's just so lucky that that friend came because God knows what could have happened. And based on this little incident, Philip just sounds like a douchebag. So during his college years, Philip did meet Megan McAllister and they began dating and they actually met when they were both volunteering in an emergency room in a hospital because Megan, like Philip, also had aspirations of becoming a doctor. So everything is going well. They both graduate and they both want to attend medical school. Philip actually got an offer from Boston University School of Medicine and he was obviously going to move to Boston and he did ask Megan to move with him. However, Megan also did want to attend medical school and she wasn't such a high achiever like Philip was. All of her first choice schools didn't offer her a place. She only got one offer which was a school in the Caribbean. So essentially Megan felt like she had to choose between her career and her school and moving to the Caribbean to pursue that or her relationship with Philip. Um, so she did choose the relationship with Philip. She did move to Boston and she just felt like she will move to Boston with Philip. She felt like her relationship was more important than the Caribbean school. And she was just gonna figure things out when she got to Boston. So right after they moved to Boston, Philip actually proposed to Megan and she said yes. And their wedding was planned for the following summer on the 14th of August, 2009. So everything seems to be going great, doesn't it? Like this doesn't seem like a true crime story right now. Everything is like a fairy tale isn't it? You've got Philip who is such a high achiever. He's going to medical school. He's going to become a doctor. He's popular. He's clean cut. He's respected. He's good looking. He's got a fiance. He's going to get married very soon. It just seems like everything is going great. Um, but no, it was around the time that Philip and Megan got engaged that Philip started to sign up to alternative adult websites. Expressing his interest in bondage, sadomasochism, homosexuality, he had an interest in people who were cross-dressers, but in particular he had a desire to be dominated. So he started to upload pictures of himself, started to message other users, trying to arrange meetings, and he even once posted as a female masseuse looking to service male clients. And obviously I do not want to speak on anyone's sexuality, that is not my place whatsoever. But what I could find out about this case and what I know and obviously this is just speculation it does kind of seem like Philip wants to experiment and explore his sexuality which is completely fine no judgment at all however he is engaged to Megan and Megan doesn't know any of this he's not telling Megan any of this which he should be he should be talking to Megan about his sexuality about what he's thinking about what he's feeling and these are conversations that he should be having with his fiance.
So as far as I could tell, this secret online life that Philip was leading went on for about a year, but nothing really came of it. He never actually met anyone. He definitely tried, but nothing came of his online conversations with anyone. So this is when he decides to almost take a different approach. And this is where things unfortunately start to escalate. And I don't know if he decided to take a different approach because he was feeling frustrated because all of these online conversations with people weren't turning into anything. But this is when Philip turned to Craigslist. And this is when Philip started to scour the escort services section. And he came across an advert from Trisha Leffler, who was advertising uh, massages which we all know what that is. So Philip got in touch and he arranged a meeting at the Western Copley Hotel in Boston for the 10th of April, 2009. And Trisha works on her own. And these are her words, by the way. Um, she always feels at risk in her line of business. But when Philip arrived, she felt relief because he was this tall, good looking, seemingly normal man. She felt relief. But as soon as they entered the hotel room, he pulled out a gun. He told her that no harm would come to her as long as she complied with his instructions. He then put on some gloves and then he did pull out some zip ties and he bound her hands together. He went to Trisha's purse and he stole the $800 that was in her purse. He also stole her debit and credit cards. He also got her mobile phone and he removed his number from her mobile because he wanted to remove all traces of him. And he thought that removing his number would be enough. And then for some strange reason, he picked up a pair of Trisha's underwear and took them. So after he's put Trisha's underwear in his pocket, he takes Trisha and he puts her in the bathroom of the hotel room and he kind of binds her to the bathroom door and he puts tape over her mouth and then he leaves. And Trisha does manage to free herself around 20 to 30 seconds after Philip left. And she did manage to crawl out of the room and get help. For some reason, Philip was extremely confident and he thought he was gonna be able to get away with this robbery because he made no attempt to hide his face. I don't know if it was because Trisha was a sex worker and he thought that the crime would just go unreported. And unfortunately as well, police don't always take sex workers seriously. And also, when he deleted his number from his phone, he took his gloves off. Why? Why would he do that? I don't understand. So um, Trisha did report the crime and the police did take her seriously. So they had a description now of Philip. They also had CCTV footage of him leaving the hotel because he didn't bother to cover his face at all. He didn't bother to wear a cap or anything. And also because he took his gloves off to delete his number, they also have his fingerprints on Trisha's phone. So this is the first time that Philip's online persona, if you want to call it that, um, his secret life spilled out into the real world, into reality. And unfortunately, it was the first time, but not the last time. And it didn't take long for Philip to almost get a taste of this kind of crime. I don't know if he was thrill seeking, I don't know, but he definitely got a taste for it. So pretty much immediately after the robbery of Trisha, Philip was back on Craigslist, scouring the erotic services section when he came across an advert from Jalissa Brisman. And the advert basically said that Morgan, who was Jalissa, but she was posing under the name of Morgan, Morgan was gonna be in the Boston area. She didn't visit that often, so you shouldn't miss out. And she offered sensual massages with 
hand stress relief, which I don't quite know what that means, but I think I can figure out what that means. And Philip responded to the advert. And for some reason, Philip uh, posed as this person called Andy. I don't know why he decided to have a different name as well, because he didn't do that for Trisha. And he arranged a meeting with Jalissa Morgan for the 14th of April. So yeah, just four days after the robbery of Trisha. Philip, aka Andy, meets Jalissa, aka Morgan, at a Boston hotel. And it's a different hotel this time, but it's like right over the road. Why would Philip go back to the scene of the crime almost? Don't know. And we can't say for sure what the plan was, but it seemed like the initial plan was to carry out the same kind of crime that Philip did with Trisha. So pull out the gun, bind her wrists, steal her money and her cards, maybe steal her underwear and then leave. However, this is not how it happened because Jalissa was found half lying in the hallway and half in her hotel room, like half in, half out, um, in her underwear, covered in blood um, with a zip tie around one of her wrists. Her skull had been fractured in multiple places from being hit in the head with a gun multiple times. And she'd also been shot three times in the chest, stomach and heart. She had bruises all over the place um, and she was actually still alive when the emergency services arrived. But very sadly, she died just minutes after arriving at the hospital. There was also um, skin found under her fingernails. And obviously we can't say for sure because no one was there. It was just Jalissa and Philip in that room. But it seems like Jalissa put up a fight. Seems like Philip went in with the intention of just robbing Jalissa. And remember what Philip said to Trisha, if you comply, no harm will come to you. So I'm thinking because Jalissa put up a fight and didn't comply with what Philip wanted, is this why Philip killed her. Obviously not a very good excuse. But I'm just trying to kind of think why the hell did he murder Jalissa? There was actually no reason, no need for him to murder Jalissa because remember Jalissa had a fractured skull. That came before the gunshot wounds and the fractured skull with how hard he hit her on the head with the gun was enough to knock her out. He could have just knocked her out with the gun like he did and then left. He didn't need to kill her. I don't know why. This is one of the questions that I have about this case. I don't know why he killed Jalissa. But the media did jump onto this story straight away. And this is where the media gave Philip Markoff the name of the Craigslist killer. The police also released the CCTV footage as well that they had from both hotels now because they figured out the person that murdered Jalissa is the same person that robbed Trisha just four days earlier because they saw this preppy looking, good looking, clean cut, blonde man on the CCTV footage of both of these hotels. So they quickly figured out this is the person. And then amazingly, the day after Philip murdered Jalissa, his face is all over the media. What did Philip do? He went to a casino. And Philip had visited this particular casino 19 times in the last three months. So he was a pretty regular visitor. And on that particular visit, he spent $700. And he did manage to turn that $700 into $5,300. But what is absolutely horrible is that that $700 was probably the money that he stole from Trisha and Jalissa. And I just think as well, this casino visit just shows how arrogant Philip is right now. This is the day after he's murdered somebody. His face is all over the news. Well, not his face, but the CCTV image of him is all over the news. 
and he just went to a casino. Just think, if you had just murdered someone, wouldn't you be monitoring the news to see if anything has been reported, to see what's going on? Wouldn't you be monitoring the news? I mean, if Philip had just turned on the goddamn TV, he would have seen his face. I mean, maybe Philip did turn on the TV. Maybe he was aware of the media coverage of him. But like I said, the only images they had was grainy CCTV footage. So maybe Philip just kind of thought, oh, they're not gonna recognize me. I'm very generic, blonde, all American looking boy. Like they're not gonna recognize me from that. And even though the last robbery went horribly wrong and he murdered Jalissa, uh, this wasn't enough to put Philip off. He was back on Craigslist. And this is when he found an advert from Cynthia Melton. She was a stripper and she was advertising lap dances. And Philip responded to the ad and they arranged a meeting at a hotel in Rhode Island on the 16th of April, just two days after the murder of Jalissa. Like all of this from the robbery of Trisha to the meeting with Cynthia is less than a week. So similar to the attack on Trisha when Philip got to the hotel and when he met Cynthia at the hotel room, um, he pulled a gun out on her, tied her up and stole her cash and any cards that she had on her. However, during this attack, Cynthia's phone kept on ringing and this was freaking Philip out. He was like, who the hell is calling you? And Cynthia said, oh, that will be my husband. And as it turns out, Cynthia's husband was actually her business manager and he was always nearby waiting for her signal to make sure that everything was okay. Um, because when she would meet men in hotel rooms, she would always text him and say, everything's okay. And then like his mind would be at ease. Um, but this text obviously never came. So because Cynthia never gave the signal that everything was okay, Cynthia's husband actually came up to the room and let himself in with the key. And at this point, Philip was like frozen in shock. And he turned the gun from Cynthia onto her husband, to which Cynthia's husband turned around and ran back down the hall. Now, I don't know if he ran back down the hall to save his own skin or to get help. I don't know. He ran away and this whole encounter with Cynthia's husband actually freaked Philip out that he just left. He ran out of the hotel room and went the other way down the hallway. Uh, but again, Philip has made no attempt to conceal his identity and the police again have CCTV footage of Philip. So at this point, he was a very wanted man by the police. I mean, he'd killed someone, he'd committed two armed robberies, um, and he didn't seem like he was slowing down. Like all of this happened in a week. The police are like, oh, we need to act quick right now. And they have all this CCTV footage, but they still don't know who it is. Uh, this foundation is a little bit too dark for me right now, but um, let's just ignore that. But the police obviously have the CCTV footage of Philip because Philip has made no attempt to conceal his face. I don't know if he thought um, that he could outsmart the police. If we're going back to him in his academic life, Philip is a very high achiever. He is very intelligent. He's probably used to being one of, if not the smartest person in the room, at least academically anyway. Like, did he just think that he didn't even need to bother to conceal his face when he was leaving the hotel room? because he just thought he could outsmart the police and they would never catch him. However, Philip, if that's what you thought anyway, you were wrong. So one of the first things the police did was retrieve the messages that Jalissa and Philip sent to one another. And from these messages, 
they found out the IP address of the computer that sent the messages. So Philip's computer, and they managed to track the IP address to an apartment in Boston. And who lived at that apartment? Philip. He clearly never used a VPN to conceal his IP address. And obviously VPNs did exist in 2009, uh, but I don't think they were like widely known to use a VPN if you want to conceal um, your IP address. Um, and obviously you've got to realize it is 2009, the internet as we know it today was in its infancy. So the police uh, had a name, they had an address. So the next thing that they did is what any good detective will do. And they typed Philip Markoff's name into Facebook. Oh, Facebook. And when they did that, they hit the jackpot because Megan, Philip's fiance, had set up this whole Facebook page for their wedding. So the detectives coming across this Facebook page had a plethora of information about Philip and they just couldn't believe their eyes. Like they just couldn't wrap their heads around this 23 year old medical student that seemed to have everything going for him in his life could be the Craigslist killer. I mean, I can't wrap my head around it, but the police needed actual physical evidence to arrest Philip. And they did have the fingerprints from the crime scenes because obviously Philip took his gloves off. So the police thought, okay, so we have the fingerprints from the crime scene. Let's try and get Philip's fingerprints. Now, I think this is genius what they did. They followed Philip to a supermarket where they followed him around the supermarket and everything Philip touched, the police were like two steps behind, like secretly bagging everything to test for fingerprints. And then this next thing that they did, I just think is so like, it seems so far-fetched. It's like it's from a TV show or something. Well, Philip had his trolley coming out of the supermarket and outside of the supermarket was an undercover detective. She approached him pretending to be this friendly neighborhood citizen and said, oh, I'll take your trolley. Like I'm going in, I'll take it. And Philip just gave her the trolley with his fingerprints on. I think that is genius. Obviously everything was sent off for testing um, and no surprise, the fingerprints were an exact match. So the police have the fingerprints of Philip Markov placing him at the crime scene. And obviously they also have his IP address with the messages. Um, but for some reason, I don't know why, but they needed a positive ID. Like I just would have assumed that fingerprints placing someone at the scene and obviously the messages linking back to Philip's um, address would have been enough. But anyway, they needed um, a positive ID from a witness. But before they could do this, police that were waiting outside of Philip's apartment saw Philip and Megan leaving their apartment with suitcases. And guess where they were going? Another casino. So the police are racing against the clock here because the casino that Megan and Philip are going to is in a different state and the Boston police don't have jurisdiction in another state. If Philip crosses the state lines and I don't know, gets wind of the fact that the police are on him, uh, the police could lose out here. They raced to Trisha and put a photo lineup in front of her, hopefully ID Philip. Um, so yeah, she was given six photos, I think, and she immediately pointed to Philip. She was like, yeah, that is him. So this is all the police needed. They just needed that positive ID of an actual photo of Philip. So Philip and Megan are traveling down the I-95 when all of a sudden the car is surrounded. And poor Megan, she doesn't have a clue what is going on here. She was just really confused. She kept saying, 
you must be mistaken, like you've got the wrong man here. So both Philip and Megan are taken into questioning and Philip is being pretty difficult. He's not cooperating, he's not giving any information. And at this point, the police have no idea what Megan's involvement could be. Like she could be an accomplice for the police, no. But throughout her entire interview, she just kept proclaiming that they've gotten the wrong man. Philip would never do anything like this. He wouldn't hurt a fly. And the police very quickly figured out that Megan didn't have a clue what was going on. She was just an innocent bystander here and she was released relatively quickly. So meanwhile, the police are searching Megan and Philip's apartment to find as much evidence as they possibly can. And wow, do they find a mountain of evidence. The first thing that they came across was duct tape and zip ties that matched exactly to the ones used in the robberies. They also found Philip's laptop, which was the laptop that he sent the messages from. And then the police found the murder weapon. I think Philip thought he was really clever here on how he hid the murder weapon, but it didn't take long for the police to find uh, the bullets and the gun. So the bullets were actually taped to the back of the dryer. And where they found the gun, I can't even believe is real, to be honest. This is again, something that sounds like it's from a film. They found the gun in a hollowed out book. And this wasn't one of those pre-hollowed out books that you can buy from like a joke shop. I'm sure you've all seen them. Um, no, this was a real textbook. It was a medical textbook, uh, one of Philip's. It was actually the book Grey's Anatomy. And this was a 700 page textbook that Philip had hollowed out himself. I mean, that would have taken forever, but really Philip? I also think as well, Megan is an aspiring doctor as well. She wants to go to medical school. Isn't there a chance that she might open that book as well? And to top all of that off, the police made the final discovery under Philip and Megan's mattress. So they found a rolled up pair of socks taped to the underneath of the mattress. And they were like, that's suspicious. Who tapes a pair of socks to a mattress? They unrolled the socks and inside were 16 pairs of women's underwear. Yeah, 16 pairs. What? Two of these pairs were identified as Trisha's, who was the first victim. And then two of them were identified as Cynthia's, the third victim. I don't think any of them were identified as Jalissa's, but the other 12 pairs, um, who knows? The police didn't identify who these belonged to um, and they didn't belong to Megan either. And it just makes me think, um, okay, he has 12 other pairs of knickers. Um, does that mean that there were more victims? I don't know why, but it seems like he takes two pairs of knickers from each victim other than Jalissa. So if that's correct and there's 12 more pairs, does that mean that there are six more victims that we don't know of? So the police had plenty of evidence now and on the 21st of April, 2009, Philip Markoff was charged with the murder of Jalissa Brisbane and also the robberies of Trisha and Cynthia. He pleaded not guilty and he was denied bail um, and he was sent to jail. And this is where I wanna give the warning that suicide is going to be discussed now. Philip made the first of what would be multiple attempts of suicide and he tried to hang himself in his cell with his shoelaces. And whilst Philip was in jail, Megan continued to proclaim his innocence. She believed that he didn't do these crimes and they had gotten the wrong man. However, the police did show Megan all of the evidence that they had against Philip. And I think this is where the penny dropped 
for Megan because there was just so much evidence. There was no denying that Philip had done this. And I think as you can probably guess, uh, Megan did end the relationship. She did go and visit him in jail and she said to him, this is going to be the last time you see me. And when she did arrive at the jail, Philip was dressed in a suicide jacket and all Philip could say was, I'm sorry. Megan also told him that she was going to follow her dreams and attend medical school and she started her life again. Um, and she actually is a doctor now, um, which I'm so happy that she actually did almost make a fresh start. But the very next day after Megan went to visit Philip in jail, Philip attempted to commit suicide again by using a sharp metal spoon uh, to cut open his wrists. And over the next year, Philip made multiple attempts at suicide, including one attempt on what would have been his wedding day. And then on the 15th of August, 2010, Philip was found dead in his cell. Philip had somehow managed to fashion himself a knife from a jail issue pen that he was given. And he had used this knife to cut open the arteries in his ankles, his neck, and his legs. Following this, he stuffed toilet paper down his throat and tightened a plastic bag over his head to ensure that he couldn't be revived. Next to his body were photographs of both him and Megan together. And on the wall in blood, were the words Megan and Pocket. And Pocket was the pet name that Megan and Philip used to call each other. So after Philip's death, the case obviously never made it to trial. So the charges against Philip were dropped. Um, there is some speculation as to why he did commit suicide. Some say that he wanted to spare Megan the shame because Megan would have been called as a witness. However, others believe it was to save himself the shame. And following this case, Craigslist did agree to change the name of the erotic services section to adult services, which to be honest, I don't really know what the difference makes, just changing the name. Um, but when Philip did commit suicide a year later, the case again was back in the media and because of public pressure, Craigslist did actually just remove this section altogether. So the most intriguing part of this case to me, and this is where I want all of your help, is what was the motive behind these crimes? But he just seemed so normal. And I know obviously what is normal, but he did just seem normal. Like there was nothing in his childhood, in his upbringing. It's just when I describe who Philip was, he just seems like the complete opposite of a person that would commit the crimes that he did commit. So because of this, there is a lot of debate as to the motive behind these crimes. So I'm just gonna talk about a few of the motives that have been thrown around. So the first possible motive for the crimes was that he was in debt. $130,000 in debt to be exact, which is a hell of a lot. And he was leaving off credit to pay um, his bills. So there is speculation that he was committing these robberies to pay off debt. Um, and this is a motive that I don't think is true. I mean, it could be, it could be partly responsible, but um, I don't think he committed these crimes just because he was in debt and he wanted money. Because if we think about it, he stole $800 from Trisha. Um, what is $800 gonna do with $130,000 worth of debt. It's not gonna do much, is it? Which leads me on to the next motive, which could have been a gambling addiction. And he needed the money 
um, to fund um, his gambling addiction. I mean, he did seem to be going to the casino a lot and he did go to the casino the day after he murdered Jalissa and gambled away the money that he stole from her. Um, I just mean that that's got to mean something. Again, I don't know if it's the sole motive, um, but I definitely feel like it plays into it. But something that is quite possible, which I do think could have been the motive, um, is that the gambling and the debt could be linked because he was stealing smaller amounts of money from sex workers, going to the casino, and he was pretty good at poker, turning that smaller amount of money into bigger bucks and then using that to maybe pay off the debt. Um, so the gambling, the debt definitely could be linked in the motive. And then another popular theory is that these crimes were sexually motivated. We all know that Philip had this alternative sexual online life. Was he frustrated in not getting anywhere in this online world? Um, and this was just spilling out into the real world? And was he committing these crimes out of rage and frustration? However, if these crimes were sexually motivated, you would expect there to be an element of like a sexual assault, but it just makes the whole case more confusing. And I know that his uh, target victims were sex workers, but I don't think that in itself makes this a sexually motivated crime. So there is a possibility, of course, that Philip just chose sex workers as his victims because they were an easy target and it wasn't actually sexually motivated at all. But why I kind of think that there is a sexual element to this crime, he stole their underwear. So it's like, what does that mean? I mean, obviously that might not be sexually motivated, but oh, I don't know. I just, there's just this nagging thing in my head that's kind of saying that him stealing the underwear is sexually motivated. Like, was he getting off on that? Like, was this some kind of sexual fetish that he had? And also he was taking the underwear as kind of like a trophy so he could relive the crimes maybe. And I kind of just think, okay, so maybe it's not sexually motivated. And the reason why he stole the underwear is just because it was an easy opportunistic trophy because sex workers had spare pairs of knickers on them. And maybe it's just a combination of everything that I've just said, a little bit of everything. So maybe these crimes were just Philip satisfying his sexual fantasies whilst also funding his gambling addiction but because he was good at gambling he was kind of winning a lot of money which was also fixing his debt problem but do you remember when he was signing up to those adult websites maybe that wasn't sexual at all maybe he was signing up to those websites to look for potential victims and obviously nothing came of those online chats that he was having he wasn't able to arrange any meetings which is why he turned to craigslist I'm convinced that that is right. I don't know. I mean, he still doesn't explain why he did what he did um, and why he wanted to kill and rob people. But I just thought that that was really interesting and it literally just came to me now. And also the big question I have with this case is why the hell did he kill Jalissa? I just don't know what all that was about. I mean, obviously there are examples of cases like Phillips where the crimes do escalate. So maybe the murder of Jalissa was planned and it was just Philip's crimes escalating. And that also makes me think, oh my God, thank God Cynthia's husband interrupted because maybe he was planning to kill Cynthia as well if they were escalating. Um, or was it just a robbery that went wrong with Jalissa? But I don't buy that either because like I said, he didn't need to kill her 
He'd already knocked her out with the gun. So yeah, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I have so many questions about this case. And that brings us to the end of this episode. There are no updates on the case of Philip Markoff, the Craigslist killer. So thank you so much everyone for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show, it would mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one.